are listening to the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year I'm reading and reflecting on the four-volume over 2,500-page work by the Venerable Maria of Agreda. If you would like to discuss today's readings, you can do so on Facebook through the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast group page, where you can interact with others who are listening and following along. If you would like to support this free podcast, you can do so by sending a tip through Venmo to the handle Mystical City of God. Let us now thank God for the life of Venerable Maria of Agreda. Almighty God, you will that all people know the saving power of Jesus' name. Throughout time, you have sent missionaries to your people who proclaim the good news. We thank you for sending Sor Maria to the Humano people and planting the seeds of the gospel in their heart and in our land. She taught them the good news and prepared them for baptism. We look to her example in holy life and wish to be taught by her today. Sor Maria, teach us how to pray and meditate. Teach us how to imitate the virtues of Our Lady. Teach us the mysteries of our faith. Almighty God, stir a flame in our hearts the same missionary fervor of Sor Maria, so we may be as emboldened as she was to proclaim the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you, In the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. Today is day number 334. We are reading from Volume 4, Book 8, Chapter 6, Paragraphs 489 to 495. 489. St. Peter, as the head of the church, had called upon the apostles and disciples then in and around Jerusalem, and convoked them to a meeting in the presence of the mistress of the world in order that the most prudent virgin in her profound humility might not absent herself from this council, St. Peter had interposed his authority as vicar of Christ. All of them being gathered, St. Peter said, My brethren and children in Christ, our Savior, it was necessary that we meet in order to solve the difficulties and decide upon the affairs which our most beloved brethren, Paul and Barnaby, have brought to our notice, and to determine other matters touching the increase of the holy faith. For this, it is proper that we engage in prayer to obtain the assistance of the Holy Ghost, and we shall persevere therein for ten days, as is our custom. On the first and on the last day, we shall celebrate the sacrifice of the Mass, by which we shall dispose our hearts to receive the divine light. All of them approved of this arrangement. In order to celebrate the first Mass on the next day, the Queen prepared the Hall of the Seneca, cleaning and decorating it with her own hands and holding all things in readiness for the communion of herself, together with the apostles and the disciples during those Masses. St. Peter alone celebrated, observing all those rites and ceremonies which I have described when speaking of the Masses on other occasions. The other apostles and disciples communicated at the hands of St. Peter. Then the Most Blessed Mary, taking the last place, many angels descended to the cenacle. All those present saw them, and at that time of the consecration, the cenacle was filled with a wonderful light and fragrance, through which the Lord wrought wonderful effects in their souls. Having celebrated the first Mass, they agreed upon certain hours in which they were to persevere together in prayer, as far as they could, without neglecting the necessary ministry of souls. The great lady retired to a place where she remained alone and motionless for those ten days, without eating or speaking to anyone. During that time, she experienced such hidden mysteries as to move the angels to astonishment, and I find myself unable to describe what has been manifested to me concerning them. I will briefly indicate a small part of these mysteries, for to state all is impossible. 
The Heavenly Mother, having received Holy Communion on the first of the ten days, and retired to pray alone at the command of the Lord, was immediately raised up by her angels and others there present to the Empyrean heavens. Since she was taken up body and soul, one of the angels took her shape in order that the apostles in the cenacle might not become aware of her absence. They bore her up with the splendor and magnificence described by me on other occasions, and on this occasion it was even greater on account of the designs of the Lord. When Mary arrived in a region of the air, far removed from the earth, the Almighty Lord commanded Lucifer and all his hellish hosts to come into the presence of the Queen into those higher regions. Immediately all of them came before her, and she saw them, and knew them all just as they were, and the condition they were in. The sight was somewhat painful to her, because the demons are so abominable and disgusting. But she was armed with divine virtue, so that she could not be harmed by this horrible and execrable sight. Not so the demons, for the Lord gave them to understand by a special insight the greatness and superiority of that woman whom they were persecuting as their enemy. They were made to perceive how foolishly presumptuous they had been in their attempts against her. To their still greater terror they saw that she carried in her bosom the sacramental Christ, that the whole divinity held her, as it were, enveloped in the omnipotence of their humiliation, overthrow, and destruction. 491. The demons, moreover, heard a voice, proceeding from the deity itself, saying, With this shield and my powerful arm, invincible and strong, I shall always defend my church. This woman shall crush the head of the ancient serpent, Genesis 3.15, and shall forever triumph over its haughty pride for the glory of my holy name. All these and other mysteries of the Most Holy Mary the demons perceived and understood while they were gathered around her in dismay. So great was the despair and crushing the pain when they felt that they, with loudest clamor, said, May the power of the Almighty cast us immediately into hell, and let it not keep us in the presence of this woman who torments us more than fire. O invincible and strong woman, recede from us, since we ourselves cannot fly from thy presence, where we are bound by the chains of the Almighty. Why dost thou also torment us before our time? Matthew eight twenty nine. Thou alone of all human nature art the instrument of the omnipotent against us, and through thee men can acquire the eternal blessings we have lost. Those that have sunk into despair of ever seeing God eternally are now rewarded for the accredited good works of the Redeemer by the vision of thee, which in our hate is to us a torment and chastisement. Release us, Almighty Lord and God, let this new punishment in which thou renewest that of our fall from heaven cease. For in it thou executest the punishment, thou hast threatened us with this wonder of thy powerful arms. 492. During these and other lamentations of despair, the demons were held spellbound in the presence of the queen. For a long time, and although they made the most violent efforts to fly, they were not permitted to do it as fast as their fury urged them on, in order that the terror of the Most Holy Mary might strike them so much the deeper and become the more notorious. The Lord ordained that she herself should use her authority as mistress and queen in permitting them to leave. At the instant in which she did this, all of them cast themselves with all the swiftness in their power from the upper regions into the abyss. They gave forth dreadful howls, terrorizing all the damned souls with new punishments, and full of dismay and torments, and not being able to deny their defeat. They proclaimed in their presence the power of the Almighty and of His Holy Mother. Having won this triumph, the most serene empress proceeded on her way to the Empyrean heaven, 
where she was received with new and admirable jubilee, remaining there for 24 hours. 493. She prostrated herself before the throne of the Most Blessed Trinity and adored it in the unity of its undivided nature and majesty. She prayed for the church in order that the apostles might understand and resolve what was proper for the establishment of the evangelical law and the termination of the law of Moses. In answer to these petitions, she heard a voice from the throne by which the three divine persons, one after the other and each one for himself, promised to assist the apostles and disciples in declaring and establishing the divine truth, assuring her that the Father would direct its establishment by his omnipotence, the Son, as head of the church, assisted by his wisdom, and the Holy Ghost as its spouse, by his love and his enlightening gifts. Then the Heavenly Mother saw that the most holy humanity of her Son presented to the Father the prayers and petitions which she herself had offered for the church, and how approving of them he proposed the reasons why they should be fulfilled, in order that the faith of the gospel and his entire holy law might be established in the world, in accordance with the decrees of the divine will and mind. 494. Immediately in execution of this will and proposal of Christ our Savior, the Lady saw, issuing forth from the divinity and immutable essence of God, the form of a temple or church, beautiful, clear, and resplendent, as if built of diamond or of sparkling crystal, adorned with many enamels and reliefs to enhance its beauties. The angels and saints saw it, and in astonishment exclaimed, Holy, 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 and powerful art thou, Lord, in thy works. This church or temple, the most blessed trinity, placed in thy hands of the most holy humanity of Christ. And in a manner which cannot be described in words, he united it with himself. Thereupon he turned it over to the Most Holy Mother, and as soon as Mary received it, she was filled with new splendor. She annihilated herself within herself, and then saw the divinity clearly and intuitively by eminent and beatific vision. 495. The Great Queen remained in this joy for many hours, truly introduced into the cellar of fermented wine spoken of in the Canticles, Canticle 8.2. Since what she experienced and received there surpasses all created thought or capacity, it suffices here to say that a new was ordered in her love, Canticle two four, and directed with new fervor toward the church consigned to her under the above symbol. Enriched by these favors, she was borne back by the angels to the cenacle, having in her hands the mystical temple she had received from her divine Son. She remained in prayer during the other nine days without motion and without interrupting the acts in which she had been left by the beatific vision. They fall not within human thought, and can much less be indicated by human words. Among other things, what she did was to distribute the treasures of the redemption among the children of the church. Commencing with the apostles and going through the different ages, she applied them separately to the just and the saints, according to the secret disposition of eternal predestination. The execution of these decrees, her divine Son had consigned to the Most Holy Mary, giving her dominion over the whole church and the dispensation of all the graces that each one earns through the merits of the redemption. Regarding a mystery so exalted and hidden, I cannot say more than this. This concludes our reading today for day number 334. We've been reading from volume 4, book 8, chapter 6, paragraphs 489 to 495. Well, one thing that happens in our reading today is that St. Peter convokes a council. And they're going to address different things that are concerning to these early days of the church. And one of the things that they begin with is they begin with Mass. 
They're going to end with mass. They're going to do what Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. And so now they gather and they break bread and they remember the Last Supper. They reflect on the words of Jesus. You can only imagine maybe even the homily of St. Peter. We have homilies of St. Peter in the Acts of the Apostles that one can read. But what I thought was precious in this celebration of the Mass was this. In order to celebrate the first Mass on the next day, the Queen prepared the Hall of the Cenacle, cleaning and decorating it with her own hands, and holding all things in readiness for the communion of herself, together with the Apostles and disciples during those Masses. So there she was, cleaning the room, decorating it. And one of the things that I always valued from the meditation of Father Daniel Lord on the Last Supper, Father Daniel Lord, a Jesuit, an American Jesuit, a person that I've studied quite a bit, written on, published on him. He inspired one of my books, Meditations After Holy Communion. And it was in that work, the Song of the Rosary, that he called Our Lady the First Sacristan, how she would have cleaned up after the Last Supper. And now we see that role continuing in the life of the early church with the apostles as they gather for Mass. But for all the people in the world who clean their parish church, for those who decorate the church, for those who beautify it, What Mary does, they can relate to. In a sense, because she did it, it gives their task greater meaning. And when they undertake that work, maybe they'll think of Our Lady this next time. Thinking of her as she cleaned the upper room. Thinking of her as she made floral arrangements and placed them around the room so that beauty might surround them. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year I'm reading and reflecting on the four volumes of the mystical city of God. I'm grateful you joined me today, and I hope you'll join me again tomorrow. Until then, may God bless you, and Mary pray for you.